You are listening to audio from Victory Church. To check out more resources or to support the work of the ministry, visit victoryballotin.org. Well, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Winston Churchill's We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech. Franklin Roosevelt's first inaugural speech where he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. What do these have in common? A few of the most famed, repeated, motivating, transcendent in history speeches from passionate men and leaders in the last two centuries. There was another almost great speech that took place I want to tell you guys about this morning. It was in the little town of Carterville, Illinois, where I was raised. This was back in 2018. I was finishing high school, doing some college classes, and I have a brother that's 15 months older than me. His name's Micah. And... Uh, if you ever want to have some good conflict in your house, have boys 15 months apart. That's the greatest tip I can give on that end. Um, but Micah and I got along pretty well, and the way things overlapped, we got to take some college courses together. Um, for some reason, we thought, hey, this would be a great idea to do our college-required speech class together. Who here has been in a college speech class I found that in those classes, 80% of the students at least do not want to be there, but they are required in many, um, many, uh, degree paths. So we were there and Micah and I, we were okay public speakers. We did fine. We were comfortable. And so we thought, Hey, it'd be fun to do this together. We had just done an accounting class together. We thought this is a great idea. So we started and, uh, the semester was mostly filled with four to five minute speeches and uh, I saw some incredible speeches from some very nervous people, to say the least, in that speech class. All the speeches were videoed, and the concept of the class wasn't just that the teacher or the professor would grade your speech, but also that we would video the speeches, and then the professor would assign those speeches to students, and the students would help in analyzing grading, and giving feedback on the speeches. Our professor thought it would be a really cute idea to assign my first speech to my brother Micah to analyze and give feedback. So I gave my speech, and I thought, you know, that would go right up there with MLK's I Have a Dream. That was a good speech. I was feeling pretty good about myself. Until Micah got a hold of it. And then I didn't feel so good. Um, I knew he was off in another room at home reviewing my speech. We like to do our homework at the same time. And he came back, and I was honestly expecting, man, Matt, that was good delivery. You did a nice job. Um, here are a few pointers. Maybe maybe uh, don't you know rock around so much. Don't walk around so much. I thought he'd have some stuff like that. No, all he had to say was this. I counted 32 times you said, um. That was it. That was the feedback. And even with it coming from my brother and kind of expected, it was humbling to say the very least. 
Um, I, I didn't feel so good about that speech. I was like, 32 times in a four-minute speech, I said, um. I mean, imagine. You're just saying, um, for four minutes, it sounds like. A couple weeks later, we were in class, and it was Micah's turn to present again. And as the kind, forgiving, gracious brother I am, as he walked forward to give his speech, I had this idea in my mind, and I grabbed a notepad and a pen, and I thought, you know, let's just see if I'm the only one who says, um. I cannot explain the glee that filled my heart as he surpassed 32 ums in just four minutes with evil bliss I was happy to report to Micah slide a sheet across the table next to him after he was feeling good that on the tally said 45 ums said um 45 times in four minutes Uh, I had a pretty smug grin for him after that I gotta say now, full disclosure, Micah and I, we, we talk about this story occasionally, and we do believe the details a little differently. So, But he's not here to explain his side, so we're just going to go with mine for today. Um, but the one thing we don't question is who got a better grade in that class. So, Micah, if you hear this, it's a little trash talk, brother to brother. But great speeches, there have been many of them. Great talks. I want to tell you today, beginning today and for the next coming weeks and actually a couple of months, we're going to talk about what I believe is the greatest public speech anyone has given on the face of the earth. Don't just take this from me. Um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus climbed a mountainside, sat down, and gave an incredible exhortation. Beyond my opinion, Harvard professor Harvey Cox in his book, When Jesus Came to Harvard, wrote that the words of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount are the most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, most influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history. That's from a Harvard professor. The invitation now for us here at Victory for the next coming months, is to become a student of the words that Jesus shared in this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. It's a well-known sermon. Most of you have perhaps heard it, heard sections of it, portions of it. You're going to recognize a lot in the next uh, couple of months as we talk through this. But the power, I believe, is transcendent. and, And we can't miss what Jesus had to say. So what was the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount, for lack of a better term, I like to call it the manifesto of Jesus' ministry. This was the beginning point of his teaching that really launched and was a catalyst for for an earth-shattering few years of Jesus going, proclaiming, healing, teaching. Uh, This message was key to the why of Jesus' coming. So before the sermon starts, before we start diving in, I think the context and the setup is important. And if you were here in Bible class this morning, you got to hear some of this, and I'm going to repeat it. So um, buckle up if you were here. You're going to hear some repeated stuff here, but I think it's important for all of us to know. 
So, and, and by the way, um, we're going through this in Sunday sermons and Bible class. So if you don't normally attend Bible class, but this, uh, this piques your interest, join us. It's at 9 a.m. We're going through the beginning of this, the Beatitudes. Um, but those are also will be made available on, uh, the Bible class podcast. So you can look Victory Church, look up Victory Church, uh, Bible class podcast and you'll be able to listen to those as we go through if you can't make it at 9 a.m. But it really all begins in Matthew chapter 4. This is the setup. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffered with um, suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, um, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So the setup here really gives us the nature of Jesus's beginning of his ministry. He was doing three primary things. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was teaching on the kingdom of God and he was healing. And those were a trifecta of a powerful start of the ministry of Jesus that we see that launched him into incredible national and even international fame from the very beginning. It is amazing to see if you reflect on the amount of ministry Jesus accomplished in just three and a half years of public ministry. Remarkable. So, so the timeline begins with, hey, news of Jesus is following, fa- is, is, Spreading fast. And and really his message from the very start was just this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that in Matthew chapter 4. And and we're not exactly sure on on the timeline of this fame going forth. But but here's a key insight into it. People were coming from really far. And, And for modern means of travel, what they had was riding donkeys at best and walking. That's how they were traveling. And when you look at where Jesus gave this Sermon on the Mount, um, there were people coming from as far as 50 to 100 miles away, following Jesus, following his ministry. If you think about that, um, here to Sioux Falls, from here in Ballatin, is a, is a little over 60 miles. So imagine walking that to follow and hear this teaching. So fame was spreading and people were coming to hear the message and, and bring the sick for them to be healed. So it's just a remarkable, remarkable time in Jesus' ministry. And the nature of this moment when he brings this sermon um, is is really important to understand. The the people Jesus was speaking to, there were some religious religious leaders and well-educated people, but most of them were the poor, the oppressed, the sick, those who had disability. People who had great need for something better than where they were. That's who Jesus gave this sermon to. That was the launching point. And an important note about this of the setup, if you look in, in Matthew chapter 5 where this sermon begins, it goes Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Um, it, this is what Jesus did. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. And his disciples came to him. So interesting, Jesus gave this message seated. Now this wasn't odd for that time. Um, typically in this cultural context, the rabbi 
would actually sit to give their message and all the listeners would stand. Now that sounds pretty good to me. Who thinks we should try that this morning? You guys stand, I'll sit. <laughs> That's how they did it though. You would stand while they were listening for as long as you could and the rabbi that was teaching would sit. So, but what's important to understand is when Jesus took a seat to teach, he was taking a position of actual authority by doing that. That's an important context there. Because Jesus didn't just deliver a sermon that no one had ever heard before. There were some pieces of his sermon that people had teach, uh, taught in previous years, actually. But really what was impactful was the way that he gave it with authority and power. And Jesus sitting down as a rabbi to teach this was the beginning point of that. And if you are familiar with Matthew chapter 5, and I bet most of you are, if not, that's okay. Um, Hear this and you will learn. Uh, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are those who understand the scripture well, for they will be able to apply it with wisdom. Blessed are the educated, for they will be employable. Blessed are the strong public speakers, not me with those ums, for they will ascend to power. Blessed are the beautiful, for their lives will be enjoyable. Blessed are the wealthy, for they will gain even more wealth. And blessed are the joyful, for they will have more friends. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, And persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus starts by calling these eight categories of people blessed. I don't know about you, but to me, that first list of blessed sounded a lot better of something I would like to pursue and go for. You know, blessed are the uh, educated, for they'll be employable. Blessed are the wealthy, they'll gain even more wealth. Blessed are the joyful, for they'll have so many friends. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of nice things about you. But no, Jesus took an upside down list of people and said, you are blessed. Now, this word blessed, we touch on this in Bible class and we'll, uh, more people will repeat this as we go through, through it in the coming weeks. It's really important to understand what Jesus is saying when he says blessed. This word blessed is, um, 
It's an, it's an interesting Greek word. If I can find it on my notes. I want to make sure I, make sure I pronounce this correctly. The, the word Jesus used here is makarios. Can everyone say makarios? Now I'm not going to act like I'm a Greek scholar. Um, there are just some easy tools to go out there and help you learn how to pronounce things and all that. But makarios is I've dug in, I've learned just a little bit about it and what Jesus was saying. And, and when Jesus said this word makarios, it's actually a Greek word that we have a hard time translating to English. Uh, for a few reasons, one of them being that uh, there's not a word that easily links to it because it's a salutation. Makarios is a salutation. And the closest thing we have, salutation-wise, is is the word congratulations. So it would be like saying, hey, congratulations on the new baby, or congratulations on your promotion, or congratulations, Micah, on 45 ums. And it's a salutation like that. And, uh, and, but other than that, we also have an interpretation of the closest we could really get for just a practical word would be happy or fortunate. Fortunate are you or happy are you if you are one of these things is what Jesus was saying as he goes through. That's a really interesting thing for Jesus to say to people who are poor in spirit, people who are mourning. People who are weak. People who are less than fortunate. I would, I would almost argue, this seems a little insensitive. Have you ever had a time when you were really hurting? Something was really weighing heavily on you? Imagine if someone came to you at that time and said, you know, actually, you're pretty blessed. How would that go over for you? Not particularly well in my mind. If someone came right in the middle of a crisis and said, hey, I mean, you're pretty blessed, so you might as well just feel blessed while you're in the middle of this. That wasn't what Jesus was saying when he said, blessed. Jesus was giving a paradigm of the kingdom of God, a truth about the kingdom of God that came as an invitation to the people listening to him. Remember, these were the oppressed. These were the sick, the broken people, the poor that were following Jesus. And in in a world where there was religion and in so many ways you could get to God by your duties and your religious acts and your faithfulness and your obedience and the way you praise and the way that you tithe and all those things, Jesus goes to a group of people that are broken and he says, in the kingdom of God, you are blessed. I would argue there's not many more of a time in history where a group of people felt more accepted, more loved, more seen than when Jesus said, blessed are you, Makarios, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That was the message of Jesus. That's the way he started the greatest sermon in history. Blessed are you. Now, Jesus isn't giving here a list of virtues for disciples to pursue. Now, inside of this list, you know, there are some good virtues. Please be merciful, as Jesus would show mercy. Be a peacemaker. Be pure in heart. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jesus isn't giving these as a checklist of, hey, align your life to these, and then you can be a disciple. 
That's really not how how he uh, worded that. In a classic, classic Christian book um, titled Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, written by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, actually, Mike left this on his bookshelf. I had Mike go through before he retired and pick the books he wanted to take home. Apparently, this one didn't make the cut. And so I actually picked it up off his bookshelf and kept it, and I've been reading it. Um, I'm just kidding. Actually, Mike had a lot of underlining and notes in this book that have been really helpful to reading. So if you can inherit one of Mike's books, it's going to work out well for you. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, though, in this book made a few key observations about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and, and they bear meaningful weight to the Beatitudes. Uh, his first observation that I want to point out was this, is that the sermon is a description of character. It's not a code of ethics or of morals. It's a description of the life of a disciple to Jesus. He also pointed out it's not a new Ten Commandments. Rather, it's an application of how we live them in following Jesus. Another thing that he that he noted was, uh, we aren't told, live like this, and you can become a disciple. Rather, he says, because you're a disciple, your life will look in some ways like the Beatitudes. And, and the other thing that he gave, and it was such an important point in his introduction, was this. The Sermon on the Mount must be taken as a whole. Uh, if we pull it into parts and miss the meaning of the whole... We risk misusing and misapplying what Jesus was saying. So as we go through this in the coming weeks, I want to be careful to take the sermon as a whole, the heart of Jesus as a whole, and not pull things out and misapply them. I think that would be a great risk to us as we go through the sermon. Um, but that we would take what Jesus says as a whole, with his motivation in mind, with the context in mind, with the listeners in mind, and that we would apply it to our lives. So back to blessed. When Jesus came, he was giving an invitation, a new invitation to a group of people who thought they could never attain the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And he was saying, in this kingdom, you are welcome. Congratulations if you're broken. Congratulations if you have great need. Congratulations if you show mercy. Congratulations if you're pure in heart, for the kingdom of heaven is for you. In the book, that's what Jesus says it means to be blessed. So my encouragement for us this morning is quite simple. If you are in a place where the world has weighed you down, Makarios. If you are in great need for something more, Makarios. If your life is in shambles, you got broken relationships, messy finances, trouble in your career, Makarios. If you've been broken in your past, if you've been abused, hurt, shamed, maligned, Makarios, the kingdom of heaven is for you. Victory, this is good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
If I could summarize the sermon or this part of the sermon well and take another piece of Jesus' words, it's one of my favorite verses that I've just had in my heart so much. I've preached on it a few times in the last year. It summarizes the Beatitudes so well, and Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So as we go through this sermon, as we study, as we learn, um, we're going to get into some really interesting topics, but we can't miss this. The way Jesus started this, Jesus said, Makarios, welcome. The kingdom of heaven is for everyone. Everyone. So how do we take a, a message like this and apply it to our hearts? Worship team, you can come on up. We're going to close with the song. I think our our application is twofold here. A twofold application for two different groups, and maybe there's some crossover. The first one is this. If you are broken, if you are distant and in great need, the application here is this. Come into the kingdom of God. All who are weary and heavy laden, come, you will find rest for your soul. Jesus gave a, a parable in Matthew 22. And, and the parable was about um, uh, the father of a, of, a, of a married couple, and there was a marriage feast. He was throwing this party at his house, and he sent his servants out, and he said, invite all the people we know in, our friends, our family, invite them all in. All these people said, we can't make it. We're busy. We've got, they had all these excuses not to come into the party. And, and Jesus said that this, that this, uh, head of the household sent his servants out and he said, go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come and feast. Jesus gave this open invitation. All are welcome to the kingdom of God. The only thing that, that that's interesting that that um, parable ends with, and we can't miss it, we talk often about compel them to come, compel them to come. Some of the guests came and they didn't wear wedding attire. They didn't have the honor to come and bring the attire. It, it wasn't about the clothes. It was about the heart of coming and being a part of the family. And those people who didn't come and join in with what the party was meant to be, the celebration, they were sent off. They were cast out. But those who came in, accepted their role, became a part of the celebration, they enjoyed the celebration. If you're here and, and the world has said, you're not blessed, you're welcome in the kingdom of God, you've just got to put the party attire on. The invitation this morning is to come to Jesus, to say yes, maybe say yes anew, and say, Lord, I want to be a part. I want to have your kingdom perspective. The second application is for those of us, we're in the party, we're in the celebration. We've been in this church thing, we've been disciples. 
but we've misunderstood or, or grown to a misconception of what the kingdom of God is. Common flaw in the church. Plenty of people who, they were once far off and they were brought near, but now they lost perspective that the kingdom is truly for all. I encourage you, if you've been in the church, you're a disciple of Jesus, see those that need a better way and have the heart of Jesus of Makarios and invite them in. That was the invitation and that's how we must live. Let's pray and let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that your message was welcome to all, an invitation. Lord, I thank you that even when I was far off, you called me in. You said, Makarios, congratulations, Matt. You can come to the kingdom. Jesus, we thank you for everyone in this room, for our community, for our world, no matter how far off, broken or poor, no matter how abused, no matter how much someone has put their own life into shambles, the invitation is open. Come. Come. Jesus, we thank you that you are good and your mercy is new every morning. Lord, as we dive into this study of of this incredible sermon, Lord, would you uh, do a new work in us? Lord, in, in the American church, we've got a lot of information. We need heart change that will go down to our feet, to our hands, Put us in action in your kingdom. Lord, we ready ourselves to hear the word of what a life for a disciple will look like in the kingdom of God. Jesus, we say yes to you. We say we love you. Lord, would you be honored in this place and in our lives. Amen. You give life you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, great are you, Lord, you give light.
Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We say, great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Would you be honored and magnified as we launch into this week? Man, if you see someone this week that is in need, be like Jesus. Welcome them into the kingdom. That's what we do as the church. And men, if you don't register for the men's retreat this week, I am going to personally come and knock on your door. Be blessed as you go. Um, We will see you guys next week. Have a wonderful day.